Amen. I'm going to sound a little different this morning, so y'all are going to have to bear with me. I'm fighting a bad head cold. Um, probably wouldn't have been as bad if I hadn't have done what I did yesterday. But y'all don't want to hear that, so. All right, I'll go ahead and tell you. <laughs> Knowing the cold weather was coming up and we were going to be able to build a fire in the fireplace, I decided instead of hiring somebody to do the cleaning, I was going to clean my chimney out on my own. So I climb up there and I'm scraping all the creosote out of the chimney and it's all falling down and I get that part done. I go underneath and the underneath part is a mess. A lot more effort and trouble than I thought it was going to be and I've got my shop vac in the house and I'm sucking up all this creosote dust and ash and stuff and I got my head up under the fireplace and Hope's there with me, my six-year-old girl and she's trying to get my attention, and I'm like, hang on, I'm busy right now, and she keeps doing it, said, but daddy, there's smoke, and so I get my head out up under the soot all over me, and I look, and my shop vac, the filter had clogged up real quick, because that stuff is so intense, and the exhaust was just blowing black dust all inside our living room. (laughs) Mama was not happy when she came walking in. And so I was breathing creosote dust all day yesterday, and so every time I cough, it's like this black cloud (laughs) comes out. There's a lesson in that. Sometimes it's good to just go ahead and pay somebody that knows what they're doing to do the job, because obviously didn't. But, But we were able to have a fire last night, and everything was good. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 4. Last week we got away from the Roman series as I shared with you a message that I felt the Lord wanted me uh, to share with you instead. It was titled, The Sweetest Place to Be. And I left off yesterday telling you that there was more in that that I wanted to get to. And so we'd be finishing up that, uh, finishing that up this week. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Before we look at this text again, I want to just kind of briefly recap what we looked at last week. In Daniel 4, we saw the account of King Nebuchadnezzar who had a dream that came true the way that Daniel had interpreted that it would. Twelve months after having that dream, Nebuchadnezzar is up on his balcony overlooking his kingdom and feeling pretty good about himself and all that he had accomplished when suddenly a voice from heaven came down that said that his sovereignty was going to be removed from him and he was being driven out into the wilderness to uh, uh, eat grass like the animals. So he lost his mind and he started eating grass and his hair grew long and matted and it says that his, his nails grew like claws. But after being in this state for a time, verse 34 says that he lifted his eyes to heaven and his reason returned to him. And I want us to read again, even though we read it last week, I want to look at this again, the revelation that Nebuchadnezzar had that finally changed everything for him. So it's Daniel chapter 4, beginning about the middle of verse 34. Let's all stand together as we... Read the word of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar finally comes to his senses and he realizes and says this, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and the truth that is contained here in it. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you open our eyes to see the truth, to see and to hear exactly what you want us uh, to have this morning. God, I pray that this would be a life-changing, a defining moment for somebody today. Lord, would you draw us closer to you as we learn just a little bit more about you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There were five main points to last week's message that um, I've included again if you're following along in your notes there in the, the guide in the bulletin. And these were the five points. Number one, was that everything that God does is for his glory. Number two, everything exists for his glory. And then if those two things are true, number three is that God's glory is the highest value. Number four was that God is sovereign, that nothing in this world happens without first being sifted through his hands. And then finally, There is no situation that God cannot use for his glory. Then I said that when we realize those five truths and really believe them, it is the sweetest place to be because it enables us to face any situation in this world, any situation in life without being moved. It's what allows us to experience what the Bible calls the peace that passes understanding meaning having peace in the middle of a situation that normally wouldn't have peace there. It's a peace that doesn't make sense to our carnal minds. It it passes all understanding. It's what takes us to the highest place that we can reach with God, highest place we can reach in any relationship, and that is the level of trust. Being able to fully trust God is the sweetest place to be, but you won't ever fully be able to trust him if you don't believe these five truths. This, of course, is the place that Nebuchadnezzar finally came to, and if you know his story, you know that it actually took him a while to get to this place. He was king of the pagan empire of Babylon who had destroyed Israel and taken many of them into captivity. Nebuchadnezzar was someone who deserved to be destroyed by God, not someone who deserved to behold the most valuable thing in all the universe, the glory of God. But you see, God chose him for that very purpose, that Nebuchadnezzar would behold his glory. God had set his mind that that was going to be his destiny in life before he was even born. And so God makes sure that that purpose was accomplished in his life. God first tried to reveal his glory to him through another dream that Nebuchadnezzar had before this one. 
It was a dream that he wanted all of his counselors and magicians to be able to interpret. And so he called them in and he said, I want you all to interpret this dream. But just so I know that your interpretation is real and you're not just coming up with something on your own, you first have to tell me what my dream was. And then he threatened them and said, if no one is able to do that, then you're all going to be torn limb from limb and your houses are going to be burned down. He was a brutal tyrant. Of course, no one could do that, and so he ordered every one of them to be killed. Daniel found out what was going on, and he asked to have an audience with the king. And so he was able to tell the king exactly what his dream was, and then followed that up with interpretation of what it meant. And he told the king that his ability to do this wasn't because of anything special in him, that it was all because of God, and only because of God. Then it says that the king fell on his face when Daniel told him this, and he said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. But he still did not see God for who he truly is. Because not long after that, he has this huge golden statue made, and he orders all the people in the land to bow down and worship this man-made image. Of course, many of you know this story, how David's three closest friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down to this idol, and so they were thrown into a, a hot furnace. But they didn't get burned up at all in there. They were walking around, and then lo and behold, Jesus himself shows up right there in the middle of the furnace with them. They're taken out, and Nebuchadnezzar, again, is, is impressed by this, and he responded to this miracle by saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, he didn't see God for who he truly is, because did you catch his declaration there? He said, Blessed be their God. He didn't say, My God. He believed in God's existence. He knew that he was real. I mean, he couldn't deny it, and he knew that he was powerful. But he did not acknowledge who God was in his own life. See, he believed that God was out there, but he still wanted to have his own control, his own sovereignty. He still wanted to live life his way and do what he thought was best. And so he said, yeah, God, he's great, but he's your God. He's not mine. For Nebuchadnezzar to finally see who God truly is and accept him for who he truly is in his own personal life, it took him having to finally hit rock bottom. And you know that Nebuchadnezzar had to have wished that he would have come to this realization a lot sooner. But he was blinded by his own greed and arrogance to be able to see that. And so those things had to be stripped away from him. So God took him to a place where There was nothing that he could be arrogant about. There was nothing that he could boast in. There was nothing that he could be greedy about because it was all taken away from him. What this shows us is that there are no links that God won't go to to ensure that his purpose for us will be accomplished. Now, people will look at Nebuchadnezzar's situation in two different ways depending on how they view God. Some will see this as God punishing Nebuchadnezzar for his greed and arrogance. Punishing him for refusing to accept and acknowledge God for who he truly is. But I don't see it that way at all. 
I see this as God's grace and mercy at work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. See, he didn't deserve to have the greatest privilege that anyone could ever have, the privilege of seeing God for who he truly is, to, of beholding his glory. That is a privilege that not everyone in this world gets to have, but only those whom God has chosen to reveal himself to. Nebuchadnezzar did not deserve to be taken to the sweetest place there is to be. But God had decided that was going to be his purpose long before he was born. And so he did whatever he knew it would take for Nebuchadnezzar to finally realize this. Put yourself there for a minute. and Just imagine if you had walked up on Nebuchadnezzar in this condition of his. And I know many of you are spending a lot of time in the woods lately with it being hunting season and all. So... Imagine you're coming back to your truck from your deer stand and you see something out in the woods or in the field there and you know it doesn't look right. You're not really sure what it is and so you approach it kind of slowly and then you finally realize that it's a human being. It's a man who looks nasty and disgusting and he's gorging himself on grass. He's obviously crazy. Now let's say that you knew Nebuchadnezzar before this. And so you're shocked and you're realizing what in the world could have happened to, for it to have come to this in his life. Because you know that this was someone who lived in palaces and sat on thrones, ate the best food and drank the finest wine, wore the finest clothes and had the admiration and respect of all the people. And here he is now in this disgusting, lowly position and you're wondering what in the world has happened to him. And most of us would look at that and go, oh, what a horrible tragedy this is. But you know what? God would look at that and go, no, this isn't a tragedy. This is my grace and mercy at work in his life. Because now he is finally going to be able to see me for who I truly am. He's going to see me in ways that he never would have been able to before had it not been for me taking him to this place. And so this story makes us wonder, how many situations in our life have we misinterpreted or mislabeled, defined the wrong way? How many things have we looked at as being these horrible situations that we should be afraid of or or run from when God looked at it from a totally different perspective? Next thing in your notes there is something we all need to realize is that what we might see as a tragedy, God might see as victory. What we might see as punishment, God might see really as mercy. What we could see as being a curse, God might see as a blessing. What we maybe see as failure, God sees as grace. I've heard several people say, and I'm sure you have too, those who have spent some time in jail or in prison and have since come to know the Lord, they would say, if it weren't for me being incarcerated, I never would have known Jesus. And they view their incarceration as God's grace and mercy at work in their life. I've heard people in bad 
accidents who have laid in the hospital beds for months in excruciating pain say, if it hadn't been for that wreck, I would not have known the Lord like I know him today. My relationship with God would not be as strong as it is right now had I not gone through that painful ordeal. That accident was God's grace in my life. I'm sure some of you have known people who had to finally hit rock bottom before they woke up. You know, if the prodigal son wouldn't have ended up broke, destitute, and in a pig pen, he never would have known the unconditional love of a father the way that he eventually did. If Joseph hadn't been sold into slavery by his brothers, he never would have attained to the highest position in all of Egypt. If the disciples of Jesus hadn't gone through that terrifying storm in the middle of the sea in that tiny boat, they never would have known Jesus as the one whom even the wind and the sea obey. And if Jesus hadn't had his flesh ripped from his body, hanging in ribbons from his back, if he hadn't uh, slowly suffered, hung on that cross for hours, to suffocate and drown in his own blood, you and I would never have the ability of knowing God as Father and spending eternity with him. The horrific events of Jesus' suffering, as bad as it was, was in reality God's grace and mercy in action. Next point. God leads us into situations that enabled us, enable us to see part of his glory that we wouldn't be able to see otherwise. Sometimes those situations are pleasant experiences, but many times they're not. And this brings up something else that I want to talk about for just a minute. Because you know, far too often I think that we let good intentions get in the way of God's work in someone's life. Many times... God will be leading someone to a place of revelation or salvation or freedom, and we just get right in the way of that. We may not even realize that we're doing it because we actually think that we're being compassionate and doing what uh, we think God expects us to do. I mean, for instance, God knows that maybe somebody spending a good amount of time in jail is the only way that he is going to get their undivided attention for them to be able to see or hear something that he's wanting to show them. And so they go to jail, but then someone with good intentions immediately bails them out. That person wasn't there long enough to see what God had for them there, and so they come out of jail completely unchanged. And so if they're unchanged, what's going to happen? They're probably going to end up right back there again. And so to keep bailing that person out isn't helping them at all. It's actually preventing them from seeing what God is wanting them to see. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be bailing people out of jail. But what we should always do is pray about it long and hard first before we do something like that because we need to be discerning as to what God may be doing in their life. We need to discern whether or not we really are helping or are we enabling or are we getting in God's way. But it's not just jail. 
there are many things that we can do when in reality we are enabling someone rather than really helping them and we're keeping them from getting to the place that God is trying to take them to really change their life. We've got to be discerning about that. I mean, think about it. What if someone would have taken in Nebuchadnezzar when he first went in the wilderness? He wouldn't have finally hit rock bottom and come to that realization. What if someone would have given the prodigal son some money when he ran out of it? It would have kept him out there in that rebellious state, and he wouldn't have ran back to the father. I mean, all of those things would have kept those two from ever getting to the place that God was trying to take them. Sometimes the best help that we can give someone is not helping them at all, but simply praying that they will finally see and come to the realization that God is trying to bring them to. And I know this is especially hard for those who, I mean, for for our loved ones, those in our family. It's easy to sit there and say, don't bail that person out of jail. Don't help that person out anymore when it's not your own child. I pray to God that I'll never have to make that decision with any of mine. But this is where being able to trust God really comes into play. Because the temptation there is to think that if you don't do something, if you don't intervene, if you don't help them out, something worse is going to happen. Either they're going to die or they're going to be mad at you or they're not going to love you anymore. But if you don't intervene, something worse is going to happen. But think about this. Who ultimately is responsible for that? God is. God is responsible for what happens to them. I'm telling you, God had a plan and a purpose and a desire for your child long before you ever did. And he's going to do whatever it takes to accomplish his plan and his purpose in them. What you have to decide is if you really believe that or not. And if you're going to trust him with it. And you'll have to decide if you believe that God's plan for their life is better than your plan. Or if his way of parenting them is better than your way of parenting them. Because what you got to remember, first and foremost, that's God's child before it is yours. And he knows how to deal with them even better than you do. I know that's a tough place to be, but it's reality. So maybe some of you just need to let them go and trust God with the outcome. Let's move on here. Here's a question for us to ponder in this. Why does God want us to see his glory so bad? I mean, why would he go through so much or, or take somebody through so much just so they can see him for who he is? I mean, doesn't that make God kind of seem a little arrogant and self-absorbed? Well, if that were any of us, that would definitely be the case. I mean, for us to want everyone desperately to to see our pictures and to like our profiles, we want so many people to see us and to like us. Yes, that is a sign of our insecurity and self-absorption. But for God, it is a sign of his absolute love for us. He knows how good that that will be for us, and he wants to thrill us. He wants to lead us into joy and cause worship and adoration to stir up within us. 
He wants our lives to be radically changed in glorious ways, which is exactly what happens when we behold his glory, when we see him for who he truly is. Next point. He does that because he is a good father who delights in revealing his glory to his children. Something I've talked about before that you've heard me say, and that is that God is all in on your joy. All in on your joy. Everything he does in your life is to ultimately lead you to joy. Why? Because it produces in us the very thing that he's after, which is worship. God drove Nebuchadnezzar to the wilderness and made him eat grass like an animal because in doing so, he knew that it would ultimately lead him to joy. Joy is found in seeing God for who he truly is. So let's put all these points together because they lead to something specific here. Everything God does is for his glory. Everything exists for his glory. God's glory is the highest value. He is sovereign. There's no situation that he cannot use for his glory. He leads us into situations that enable us to see his glory in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. And he does it because he's a good father who delights in our joy. That all leads to the last point. God's glory is revealed in Jesus. That's the only way to see the glory of God. And to see him for who he truly is. And Isaiah 40, Isaiah 40 is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. In verse 5 it says this. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's talking about Jesus. And that's what God wants for us. To see Jesus for who he truly is. And to understand what it is that he has really done. And when we do, we behold the glory of God and are forever changed by it. You know, when we first come to Christ, initially we have this elementary understanding of his grace. But then he leads us on a journey into knowing him more and more and discovering new things about him. Discovering all the hidden treasures that are found in him and what he has done. And he he may lead us into situations where we finally know him for his unbelievable power. He may lead us into situations where we finally realize just how much he really does love us. He may lead us into a situation where we know him really as healer. Or he may lead us into situations where we finally realize Simply that his grace is enough. Whether I do get healed or not, his grace is enough. And those situations may look like bad things at first. Things we might be afraid of or discouraged about or things that we may even shake our fist and be mad about. But in reality, they are God's grace and mercy at work because he's leading us to pure joy. That's why James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Because God is using those trials to ultimately lead you to joy. This is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He thought that all that he had was by his own doing. And when God took it all away from him, he realized that he is nothing and God is everything. And when he did, verse 36 says says that his majesty and splendor and the glory of his kingdom were restored to him. 
But this time he knew it wasn't because of anything he did. It was all because of what God did. God's the one that did it. He had nothing to do with it. It was all by his grace. So in light of some of the things that we've been looking at in Romans, we know that our salvation is either because we decided to believe based on our own reason and our faith, or we are saved because God did it. Because he decided that we would be saved. Our salvation is either our doing or it's God's doing. The Bible says that we are saved by grace. It's either all grace or it's not grace at all. If you think for a second that somehow you deserved to be saved, then you've got the same mentality that Nebuchadnezzar had when he lost his mind. If you think that God's favor on you is based on anything that you do or that you receive some blessing from him because you earned it somehow because of what you did or if you would ever in any way think God did this for me because I did this and you've got the same mentality that Nebuchadnezzar had before God brought him to his senses because you're boasting in what you did And not in Christ alone. Let's look at this declaration a little closer. The first part of verse 35 is significant. He says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. So in verse 35, he acknowledges that he is nothing. But then in verse 36, he is obviously restored to something. I mean, he is sovereign ruler of Babylon once again. What this tells us is that in our own effort and glory and achievement and power, our own sovereignty and our own importance, at the end of the day, it means absolutely nothing. It can gain you absolutely nothing in relation to God. You can't use any of that to gain his favor, to gain any of his blessings whatsoever. The only way we are something is in Christ alone. You know, one day every one of us are going to stand before God. and We're going to give an account as to why we should be let in. And when it comes your turn, if you start listing off all these reasons why God should accept you, like, because I was generally a good person, I, I really tried hard to do what, what I thought you wanted me to do, or because I went to church a lot, or because I thought about others, if you start trying to justify why God should accept you based on every, all these things that you've done, then you are going to hear God say, depart from me. I never knew you. In fact, let's look at that passage, Matthew chapter 7. I'll show you something in this that I finally came to realize Matthew 7, Jesus is talking here, starting in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never 
knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. For a long time, I saw this as the scariest verse in the Bible. I'd read that and go, my goodness. I mean, those are things that you want us to do, God. How come they're not getting in when they're doing exactly the things that you want us to do? I mean, what is that? That means that I may not be doing enough then, too. I've since realized that it's not scary at all because notice how these people were trying to justify why they should be let in. It was all about the things that they had done. God, I did this, and I did that, and I did that. Being let in is never about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. When your time comes for you to give an account... If you have seen God's glory and understand who Jesus is and you've applied that to your own personal life, then your answer should be, I shouldn't be let in. I wasn't good enough. I could never do enough to be accepted. I don't deserve it, but I do believe in what your son did for me and I'm here because of him not because of me. I'm in him. And if I'm accepted, it's only because he's accepted. I don't deserve to be here, God. But I plead the blood of Jesus because that is my only hope. Only then will you hear, well done. Enter into the joy of your master. And so this is the sweetest place to be. Realizing that you are nothing, that you have nothing, that you can do nothing apart from God's grace through Jesus Christ. The sweetest place to be is trusting that no matter what, no matter how painful things may be, no matter how difficult life may get, trusting that no matter what, God is sovereign, and his grace is enough. If you can come to that place, then you have seen the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for, God, going to any lengths to accomplish your purpose in our life. Lord, I thank you that you are a good Father and you do delight and desire for us to see you for who you truly are. And I pray that you would open our eyes right now. God, I even pray, well, whatever it is that's keeping us from seeing you, Lord, would you remove that, no matter how difficult it may be. Lord, I know the only way we can really mean that prayer is when we know that your glory is the highest value in the universe and nothing is more important. Lord, I pray for those who are in here this morning who 
maybe have been in that same place Nebuchadnezzar was. They know that, God, you've tried to, been trying to get their attention for so long. God may be trying to do their own thing while still acknowledging your reality, but God, I pray that this morning you would bring them to the place to where it is all you or nothing. Lord, they'll turn from their ways and their arrogance and come running to you. Lord, that they would know the unconditional love of the Father the way the prodigal son did. Lord, I pray for those who are going through difficult and painful situations right now who have not been able to see this situation from your perspective. God, they have defined it as horrible, as not right, as not fair, as something they need to get away from as quickly as possible. Lord, would you open their eyes to see this situation the way that you do? God, and that they would be able to just trust you with this, that you are working it out for something good in their life. They're using it to lead them into joy and for them to know you in ways that they never have before. God, I pray that they would be able to come to that realization today. Lord, we acknowledge without you, we are nothing. God, in you, we have everything. It's only through Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way in the remainder of this time right now? Just minister to hearts. Do the work in us that you desire to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.